Good afternoon to everyone. I think I'm plugged in now. You'll turn to the book of Amos. We had that illustration this morning of the Hubble telescope and how they keep coming up with more sophisticated lenses to put on that thing that actually have the ability to reach out just a little bit further. Uh, What they're looking for is a wall, aren't they? They're looking for a wall and not finding it. You see, eternity really stands in the very face of evolution and says, no, no. So they want to see this wall. I like what Bob Anderson said. Pretty soon they're going to flip on a really, really powerful, super powerful type uh, lens, slap it in there, and there's going to be the face of the Lord Jesus Christ glowing. This isn't what you wanted to see, is it? You wanted that wall, didn't you? And you got the eternal son of the living God instead. Oh, men think they're so smart. They're only discoverers. They're not creators. And yet we think we're so, so smart. Amos. Uh, we're going to chapter 1, but I want to put this on the board now. This is uh, somewhat of an, an explanation as to why we are hopping into the minor prophets all of a sudden. And as was said yesterday, or, or last week, it was mentioned that a minor prophet is only minor because of its size, not the, not the power of the message. The power of the message is incredible. But here we have the minor prophets. You remember which one we took up last week? Jonah. Look where he sits. We're going to be taking up Hosea, uh, Amos next and then Hosea next week uh, with our brothers going to cover that. So you can see where they sit. Right in the area of Jeroboam the second. And that's why we jumped over to the minor prophets, because these minor prophets were very active in their ministry during these particular kings that we are going over at this particular time. They have great things to say, because what we are getting is God's perspective from these minor prophets. What we are going to be getting is God's view of the whole thing. That's the only view that's clear anyway. It's obvious that what was going on in Israel certainly wasn't a clear view. It was an unbelievable mess. And so we have this man, Amos. His name means burden. Kind of a tough name for a kid. You know, your mom and dad, you have a brand new child, and your name burden. Wow. Oh. Wow, like bummer, you know. Here's my boy, Bummer. You know, so, um, but that's what he's called. Really, if you were to add to it, it's really the burden bearer is what it is. So, so Amos is the burden bearer. Here's what it says. Verse number one of Amos chapter number one. The word of Amos, who was among the sheep herders. This is a strange word in the Old Testament. It's only really found in this particular section from it's, it's found in another section as well, but it explains to us what this really meant. He's from Tekoa. Now, Tekoa is a place south of Jerusalem, down in the wilderness, a, a terrible, an unbelievably wilderness area. It was an arid type place, uh, this place called Tekoa. And so here we are with a man south of Jerusalem, and we know, if you have any knowledge of of these minor prophets, this man ministers to the north. 
Why would God go to the south of Jerusalem to get a prophet to speak his word to the folks that are up in the north, or Israel? It's quite possible that there weren't any prophets up in the north in Israel. Maybe he had to go down there to find uh, this farmer named Amos. Here's what it says, continuing. It says, uh, which he envisioned in a vision concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And you see Uzziah over there because Uzziah is in the south or Judah. We know that all the kings in the south, uh, we had some good sprinkled among some bad. But all the kings in the north, not good. Not good. And so when you want to memorize who was good and bad in the north, it's very easy. When you want to memorize who was good and bad in the south, it it would take a little something to memorize that. But there, during the time of Uzziah, there's what it says. And it says, uh, and then the king of Judah in that day was Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And this is obviously not the first Jeroboam that we've seen. There were a lot of uh, overlaps of names as you go through this it becomes quite confusing because of the overlaps of names this would be Jeroboam the second we know that the first Jeroboam uh, was part of that split off uh, when Israel split off and we had Israel who went up to the north and we had uh, the rest of them uh, Judah who went down to the south the two tribes to the south so we have the first Jeroboam and this is the second Jeroboam and he is the king in the north. And here's what it says. He said, The Lord roars from Zion. Wow. I think in my mind that God gave this tremendous voice box to lions for this very reason. For this very reason, because you see, if you've ever been to a zoo and and you've heard the real roar of a lion, you will hear it. I don't care how big the zoo is. You're going to hear it from one end of the zoo to the other end of the zoo. And that's the way God is roaring now from Jerusalem. He has had enough of what was going on in the north in Israel. There was convenient worship. There was the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. There was abuse of a fellow humankind. All of these things that we're going to go through were going on and God was saying, I have had enough. And so he goes down to the south of Jerusalem to find this farmer named Amos. The Lord roars from Zion and from Jerusalem he utters his voice. And the shepherd's pasture grows mourning, and the summit of Carmel dries up. Now, the summit of Carmel is a, if you, they say in Israel that this is a high, and it is lush, beautiful green, and if it dries up, that means everything else is dried up with it. So there was tremendous drought on the way. And this message of calamity on the, on the nation of Israel that resided to the north was coming from this man named Amos. Now, just to get a little bit of background on this man, Amos, let's turn over to the seventh chapter. 
And we're going to get just a little bit of background as to who this man Amos was. There's really more background given on Amos than there are any of the other minor prophets. Uh, it, it just pretty much goes right into their message without giving a whole lot of introduction as to who they are. But in this case, we had to do some introducing because this man came a different way than the normal prophets. This is what it says, verse 14. And Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman. And that word herdsman there basically means breeder is what it means. It's a different word herdsman that you'll see in in other places in the Old Testament. That word means breeder. In other words, he was breeding uh, these sheep. And and these sheep that he was breeding down there were these little scrawny sheep that had these giant woolly coats. They were really, really thick with uh, wool. But as far as them being uh, good for eating and stuff, they were too scrawny for that. And so he is the breeder of scrawny sheep and a grower of sycamore figs. These sycamore figs that were down south, now the ones up north in Jerusalem, they were wonderful figs. Some of the best in the world were up there. But these figs were different. Uh, they were hard to get ripened. And the only way you could really ripen these figs was to, uh, when they're at a certain point, you take a knife and you cut the bottom of the fig and you let the juice of that fig run out. And then it will ripen. And, and, and so what, what this man did on the side is he would go into these fig uh, groves and he would be the one cutting the bottom of all these figs. If you're a shepherd, I guess you had a lot of time on your hands. And it was kind of like a second job, so to speak. So, he was a fig picker, and he was a herdsman. Now, the word herdsman also denotes that of cattle. He didn't only have sheep, but he had cattle as well. This man was not a poor man. Now, some people do go that route, but the way I see it, And the way I've read through it, it seems he was probably fairly wealthy. He had it going on. He was into a good vein, so to speak, where there was a lot of wealth coming out from what he was doing. His hands were producing great things. And God came along and said, now, listen, I want you to go. Would you? I mean, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to talk to strange people that you've never met before. And I want you to present the word of God to them. I want you to go. Oh, I would have had an armload of excuses at that point. I would have given you every excuse in the book. That's my nature. Now, Lord, wait a second. I've got it going on here. I've got the herds to take care of. I've got the sheep to shear. I've got the figs to pick. I've got all these activities. And you're telling me I've got to go up north. I mean, why not here in Jerusalem? Why couldn't I stay here uh, 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 with the tribes of Judah? I could stay here. It's not, it's not a far trip. No. I want you to go. Here's a man. He's not a pro-prophet. He's not even from the school of the prophets. He's, an, he's really an, a nobody. And, and he's going to have to go and, and tell a strange people that you're off base. 
The direction you're going is not a good direction. And God is ready to drop the hammer on you. That's why his Amaziah came to him after he came, became very irritated at his message and wanted him to go home. He said, you go home, O prophet. Go home and prophesy in your own home. Get out of our face. We'll explain why in just a minute. And Amos says, I'm not a prophet. You see, that's what prophets did. What they did is they they would stand and, and they would prophesy. And people would give them money. Many times, in most cases, it was as false prophets. Here we have Amaziah, and Amaziah was a false prophet. He was uh, the kind of prophet that, well, said whatever you wanted to hear for a price. Why do you think Amaziah said to, 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 to Amos, he said, you go home and you make money back in your place. Why? Because Amos was stepping in on his action here. That's exactly what he was doing. That's how he made his living. But God had a message. God had a message because God is a gracious and merciful God. Let me tell you, he could have said, Amos, stay where you're at. You've got, you've got your herds to take care of. You've got your sheep to shear. And you've got your figs to pick. Stay where you're at. I'm just going to drop the hammer without a word said. And they deserve every bit of it. But that's not the merciful God we know. He pleads. And he pleads. And he pleads. And he's pleading with America right now. I'm not going to get political on you here. But he's pleading with America. All that we're the distinction. All that we're different. You say, well, we're fairly affluent. We're living large like Larry, you know. We're living big. We are. Check us out. Compare us to the rest of the world. We're living big in, in this great United States that we live in. But there needs to be a distinction. And this is a distinction that was not there in Israel. The distinction is this. We look to the God of heaven and we give him thanks for everything we have. And we do not be so audacious as to take credit for not one stitch of thing we have. We give the God of heaven thanks. They had forgotten the God of heaven. That was their greatest sin. They went on and they went on and they had no regard for the God of heaven whatsoever. In fact, they had placed him with a multitude of God little G's. Everywhere God little G's. Because those God little G's, they turned their back because there was immoral type activities go on. Those God little G's, they say, hey, that's not so bad. Hey, we can work it into our religious program. Your immoral behavior. And so they replace the God of heaven. Can you imagine? We heard this morning that, that we have, we have uh, uh, all these Milky Ways. A Milky Way with all these plants. We have billions and trillions of these... Mil- like you said, we're not talking about a planet. Come now, come now, come now. That's a dot. That's nothing. We're talking about a whole Milky Way now. We've got trillions of Milky Ways. We've got the God of heaven, and we've got these little people down there in Israel who are called the children of God. And what are they doing? They've turned their back on God. 
They have no regard for God whatsoever. And God was about to judge. Back to verse uh, chapter number 1. This can be split up very easily. Think of the, word, think of the number 430, excuse me, 835. It's a perfect outline. 835. There's eight judgments, chapters 1 and 2. There's three messages, chapter 3 through 6. And there's five visions, chapter 7 through 9. Now, where Amos goes first is he sits down with the people and he begins to lay out judgments that that are going to befall the nations that surround Israel. And you can imagine as, as the people of Israel were hearing these things, they were saying, Amen, Amos. Wow. Ah, you preach it, brother. You preach it. And may God's hammer fall heavy upon their heads, too. Like little judges. We're all just little judges. You're going to see the heart of Amos. He wasn't acting as a little judge. And here you have them lined out. Chapter number 1, verse number 3. Thus saith the Lord. Verse 6. Thus saith the Lord. Verse 9. Thus saith the Lord. Verse 11, thus saith the Lord. Verse 13, thus saith the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1, thus saith the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 4, thus saith the Lord. And verse number 6 of chapter 2, thus saith the Lord. There's your 8 right there. Now watch what what Amos does. Amos... I, I am thinking that Amos, because of the kind of Hebrew that he was using here, it was a very, very high form of Hebrew. And, and the scholars say that this isn't written by somebody who's, a, who's some kind of a hobunker uh, sitting back in the woods. So, I don't know if hobunker is a word, by the way. I'm not sure about that. My wife always says that to me. She said, I don't know if that's really a word. But you, you, that, that's what he's portrayed at. Many preachers will, will portray him as some, some back-in-the-woods kind of a guy, you know, chewing tobacco. And, and just, I don't think so. Now, he wasn't born into the, into the family of a prophet. and He didn't go to the schools of prophets. But this man knew the Word of God. Some of the things that he refers to refers us back into the Old Testament in a magnificent way. He starts pulling out truths and begins to compare the kind of judgment that's going to befall on this nation. And so verse number three, we have Damascus. And then you see the word because you're going to see the word because eight times again. Watch this. Because they thresh Gilead with implements of sharp iron. Now, who is Gilead? Who are they talking about when they're talking about Gilead? They're really talking about those two, those two and a half tribes that went east of the Jordan River. And that would be Reuben Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh. They were dwelling over on the east side of the Jordan River. And, and here, Damascus, they would go, the Syrians would go, and they would grab up these people and make them slaves. And they would take them and put them underneath their threshing sleds. Anybody got any idea what that's all about? No. Well, the threshing sled had long metal spikes in it. And they would actually tie these people down to the ground, and they would take oxen, roll the oxen right over them, 
along with the threshing sled that followed, and just cleave them up in pieces. What is being portrayed by these judgments of these nations that surrounded Israel is very, very clear. Uh, this is what tipped the cup over. I remember when I was a kid, I used to, I used to watch this giant, uh, there was this theme park that had this giant bucket. And, and when the water got just high enough, then it would finally tip over. Well, this is the tipping point. For the nation, uh, for these nations that surrounded. And that's what we're going to see here. When God saw that kind of a violent activity going on, God said, enough is enough. I've had enough. Now, I want you to understand that, that, that God has great concern for Judah in the south. God has great concern for Israel that had planted themselves in the north. But you see, he's got great concern for all, doesn't it? His eyes run to and fro upon this earth. He knows what's going on. If there's violence going on in some sector of the world, it's not done in darkness. God knows. We look at some of the countries in northern Africa right now and we see, we see stuff that we don't even want to face up to. It's, it's, it's too much reality for us to really grasp onto. And we kind of just deny it. But those things do not go unseen by our living God. He knows. And He sees. Verse number six, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions and for four. What does that idiom mean? That, that means that, just as I said, that the bucket is full. It finally gets to the full point and it gets to the very tipping point where it tips over. And God says that is what tipped it over. Now, much filled it up. There was much that isn't mentioned here that filled the bucket up. But that's what tipped it over. And here's what it says. For three transgressions of Gaza. And Gaza is, is the Philistines. These are cities in, in, in Philistia. In, in Philistia. It says, because they departed, deported an entire population to deliver up to Edom. And the Edomites were not nice people. They were cruel. Unbelievably Cruel. So I will send fire down upon Gaza. Those are cities in, 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 uh, that, that the Philistines dwelled in. And it will consume her citadels, those high places that they say, Oh, we feel so secure here. Oh, so much for your security. Uh, the fire is going to come down. I will also cut off the inhabitants of Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. These are all cities where the Philistines dwell. And I will even unleash my power upon Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines will perish. Now, are there any Philistines in the Middle East now? Well, nobody claims to be a Philistine anymore. They've completely perished. It was the Romans uh, during the, the, the takeover of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. that decided to call this place Palestine. We're going to call this place Palestine because we want to wipe the name of God completely off this place. That's why it kind of irks me a little bit when I hear Christians saying, Well, that land of Palestine. Whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. No, don't play into that. Verse 9. Thus saith the Lord. Now, let me tell you, when, when you hear those words, man, ooh, man, you better perk up. For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they delivered up an entire population to Edom and did not remember the covenant of 
of the brotherhood. Uh, and, of course, the Edomites, their, their, their forerunner was Esau himself. Uh, so that's what they're speaking of there. And then verse number um, 11 goes on again. We won't be able to go through all of these because we're just supposed to be doing an overview here. It says uh, Edom themselves, and that's uh, Esau. And then verse number 13 is very interesting. We have very violent activities that are going on here. Some of them I won't even speak of. But this one here I'll speak of because um, we're guilty of it ourselves. Here it says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Ammon and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge in their borders. They didn't want their descendants around. So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Reba, and it will consume her citadels amid war, cries, on the day of battle and the storm of the day of tempest. Their kings will go into exile. He and his princes together, saith the Lord. And we know that Babylon is the one who carried out that judgment, and the Babylonians were cruel, uh, only probably to be superseded in cruelty uh, by the Assyrians. They were really, really cruel. I don't know who was worse, but they didn't walk in, and they didn't say, okay, now, folks, you need to pack up your bags. It's time to leave. Mm. Many, many lives were taken and cruel behavior was displayed by both of these uh, when they were taken captive. Then he goes on to Moab. We won't have time to go into that. Then he goes on to Judah. Now, what he's doing is he's taking uh, the, the noose is around their neck and it, it feels like a very comfortable necklace at this point. And it's pretty and it's nice. And it smells good. And, and all of a sudden, he gets to Judah. And, and he, yeek, he pulls it a little bit tight. And now Israel is saying, whoa, wait a second here. There were times when Judah and Israel were at odds with one another. But you notice what, what Amos is doing is, is he's crawling a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer, one step at a time. And for Judah, because they rejected the law of the Lord. You say, well, wait, wait now, wait now. We had a group ripping open babies. We had another group that was just basically threshing human beings into rivets. Judah? That's all? Well... God speaks in a special way to Judah. God manifested himself in special ways to Judah. God gave Judah good, sound prophets that would speak forth his word. God gave Judah some Good, sound kings that would carry out the will of God. God gave Judah many great advantages, you see. What did they do? It says they denied the word of God. That's where we are today, you see. We're the Judas. We're the ones who have been given great advantage. 
We're, we're the ones that, that God reached down from heaven and, and, and took and saved and gave us the, 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 the understanding, the enlightenment to understand right from wrong. Understand what the Word of God is saying. Understand the outlay of future events. Understand all that's going to transpire. He gave us that kind of advantage. What is the tipping scale for Judah? He simply denied the clear teaching. They didn't thresh anybody. They didn't tear any women open. We're not so bad. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. This is Judah, you see, right here at Boulevard Bible Chapel, where the, the word of God is opened and, and, and expounded upon. The truths are not simply sidestepped and say, oh, I don't want to offend anybody on that. You know, that, that thing about, uh, you know, uh, repenting of your sins. Well, we just, oh, the love of God, the love of God. No, we don't want, you know, no repentance. We just sidestep it all. No, it's, it's, it's laid out very, very clearly. That's where we are. Judah. And then it says in verse number six of chapter number two, it says, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Israel and for four. Now, he was a popular prophet. He was a popular prophet until he said this. Then all of a sudden, that beautiful necklace was tightened up. And he begins to reveal the real reason he came up to Israel to begin with. Yes, there were the surrounding nations. Yes, there were injustices going on. We can turn our our little attention to all the injustices in the world. Oh, look what's happening in northern Africa. Well, look what's happening over here. Look what they're doing here. Look at the audacious Terrible thing they're doing over there. And meanwhile, we've been given all this light. We've denied that light. We can actually walk in darkness when the light is right there before us. We're just as guilty. So here's Israel. They gave the tipping point, you see, of all these other surrounding nations. Just the tipping point. But with Israel, we get into a number of sins that they had committed. In fact, they give all four of them. Someone counted out all four. I wasn't able to find all that. But we get into more detail, more uh, dialogue in concerns with Israel's actual uh, 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 faults that are concerned here. Here's what it says. These who pant after the very dust of the earth on the heads of the helpless. Now, you're going to see this theme kind of carried out all through the book of Amos. You're going to see this theme, how that you have the extreme rich, uh, those who are uh, affluent, have everything going their way. And they're, they're basically riding on the backs of the poor. And that's exactly what Israel uh, was doing at this time. And then it says this, also turning aside the way of the humble, the man who humbly sought after God. I don't want to hear that. Listen, I don't want to hear that. And they cast him aside. And a man and his father resorting to the same girl. Now we get into some of the nitty-gritty, you see. 
we go from some of the, 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 the affronts that they had against the, the poor and, and, and how they rode on the back of the poor, they begin to get into some moral behavior here. A father and a son resorting to the same woman. On garments taken as pledges. Now, what, what they would do is if a poor person did not have the money to pay back a, a certain debt that they had, what they would do is they would take this poor person's coat. But at the end of the evening, when the evening uh, would finally come down and the sun would, would drop in the sky, it became so cold that it would have been cruel. And so God made the mandate that you would give that coat back to them and they would have put it on their coat to keep them warm overnight again. Well... What was happening here is they, they, they took these garments, these pledges and these garments, and they would just keep them. Completely sidestepping the mercies of God on these people. One commentator said that what they would do is they would take these garments in and they would lay them out at, at, the, at the very base of some of the temples that they were worshiping all their gods, plural, little g. And they would lay out these garments and they would profane themselves with immoral behavior right on top of those garments. Father and sons having the same temple prostitute. Sometimes the word of God is very blunt. It it's almost makes you blush a little, doesn't it? But that's the kind of thing that was going on. Fathers. Sons follow. They're watching. They're watching. Makes it tough on fathers. Fathers can make an awful lot of mistakes. Amen. But one preacher one time said this as he sat down with a, a man that was having some marital difficulties. He said, when my son, the preacher said, was about to get married, I was able to relay to him that I had been with his mother only all my days. And before God Almighty, he made that confession. And that son never forgot those words. Never forgot them. When, when things got really, really difficult in that marriage, and they will. Oh, I, oh boy, I tell you. She is doing this to me. There's nothing new in this son. My friend, it's all been done before. Don't think you're the first. But that young man never forgot those words. He was faithful to his wife all his days. That is a treasure you can give to your son that will be much greater than any inheritance he'll ever get from you. Your faithfulness to his mother. That's a treasure. That wasn't what was going on in Israel. The debauchery and the immorality... And the grossness had become of a level that was almost mind-boggling. But we're not so far from it here in the United States. It was said yesterday, most children cannot even figure out who their father is anymore. Children that are born out of wedlock is becoming a norm. We have social programs just to deal with those kinds of things. 
Because there's no getting around it anymore. All we can do is try and somehow come up with another program. Now, I'm going to skip over, for sake of time, we're going to skip over to chapter number 7. Here's, here's the outline, though, just so you can see it. <clears throat> Look at verse number 1 of chapter number 3. Here... This word which the Lord has spoken. Now, look at chapter number four. Hear this word. You cows of Bashan. Now, I didn't say that Amos was all tact. What he was actually saying here when he says, you cows of Bashan, uh, he was saying that the ladies had become so lazy that they laid around and the cows in Bashan were known for one thing. They were fat. So Amos wasn't big on tact. He was real big on honesty. Many scholars tell us that Amos was only in the north in Israel for one week. He had a lot to say in one week's time. And we don't know exactly for sure. But you look at his little timeline on most of these scales. They don't know where to put it because he wasn't there that long. So there it is, verse, uh, chapter number 3, hear the words of the Lord. There's one message, chapter number 4, hear the words of the Lord. There's two messages, and hear the words of the Lord, chapter 5, and there's your three messages. Remember the outline? It goes 8.35. There's your three messages. But we want to jump over now and into chapter number 7 really quickly. I'm just going to go through a little bit of this uh, because you're going to see the, the, uh, the eight. Uh, excuse me, the five visions. You have one vision in chapter number one, verse number one, the vision of the locust. Two visions, chapter, excuse me, chapter number seven, verse one. And then seven, verse four is another one. And that is the drought that it, it eventually ended up stomping them. And then verse number seven of chapter number seven, there's number three. And that's the plumb line. And then number four is chapter eight, verse number one. That's number four. And then number five is chapter nine, verse number one. But let's take a look just for a little bit here. Uh, some some things to glean really quickly as we look at the first verses then of uh, chapter number seven. Thus, the Lord God showed me and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop uh, began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said. Now, listen to these words. This is where you get the heart of Amos. I want you to hear this because Amos didn't just come in and say, man, I've got the hammer and I'm, I'm swinging for God. I'm swinging for God. That's not the way he was. Look at what he says. He says, Lord God, please, he begs. Pardon. Lord God, please pardon. That's the heart of Amos. Amos was a a man who walked with God. As he was out there as a herdsman dealing with those flocks, a lot of times you become very drawn in, but you have a lot of time to think. He was like David, wasn't he? He was like David, and he walked out there alone, and he communed with the God of heaven. And God looked down and he said, you're the man. You're the man I want. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to deliver you to Israel, because I've got a message for you to tell them. He says, Lord, please 
please pardon. Look at verse number three. The Lord changes his mind about this. So now you've got the heart of Amos. Look where he gets his heart. From the God of heaven. Oh, let me tell you. If, they, if, if Amos would have walked in, like Jonah walked into Nineveh, and the Ninevites fell down in repentance... If Israel, having more reason to fall down in repentance, by the way, if they would have fallen down in repentance, God would have withheld His hand of judgment on that nation. Absolutely, unquestionably, God changed His mind. That's a difficult thing to say. How can God change His mind? Well, there are decrees given by God. A decree given by God, no change. And then there are contingencies given by God. In other words, God gives out a mandate and he waits for a response because he's a merciful, loving God. He's been waiting for a response for 2,000 years. What was the, what was the contingency? Well, what did he, what did he hand out? His son, his son, who bled and died on a cross. And for 2,000 years, the contingency still stands. He gives that invitation to everyone. Oh, ye that labor and are heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. I have rest for your soul. That's it. And he changes his mind. And an individual is taken from light and brought from darkness and brought into light. They're brought from a place of death and they're brought into life again because they're latched themselves to the great life giver of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Contingencies. Praise God for His merciful, gracious contingencies. The invitation still stands out to you. The invitation still stands. His son died for you. He could have stayed in heaven. He came to this earth and he allowed himself at the very hands of his own creation to be taken and treated so roughly, spit upon, beaten, lashed open with a cat of nine, and then thrown up onto a cross. His blood shed in order that we might have life. And, and when, if, if we stand back like the nation of Israel did, because they never moved on any of this. In fact, they kicked Amos out. They never moved. And the Assyrians swept in. And now it became a decree. You, you, you don't want that. It's still a contingency. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, the judgment is coming. 
the, 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 the sunshine that we are experiencing and the affluence that we are experiencing, the same as it was during this particular period, it is going to turn to rain. And we're going to find out who has really put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is really walking by the Spirit and, and not by the flesh. Because if you're walking by the flesh, you're going to follow after what's going on in that world. You're going to put your faith and trust in the political systems. God help you. God help you. It's still a contingency. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you shall be saved. and thou shalt be saved. Our Father, we are thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful that it doesn't hold back. It doesn't just give us the things that make us feel good and, and, and tickle us. Tickle our little ears. No, it tells us the truth. And the truth is, the land in which we live is in dire straits. The same as Israel in that day. And judgment is going to fall. We're looking at a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So, Father, may we shine in this dark place in ways that that we could never see the shine of our beings before. But now with such a black background, you can see that light so clear. Oh, Father, that our lights would so shine before men that they might see our good works and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We give you thanks, our Father. We give you thanks in the name of thy blessed Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.